is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. An experience in terror to make you believe in the unbelievable. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. Hey, I'm Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren and Leo, welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 303. Another episode, another celebration of the best genre in the world and another opportunity to hang with you. Thank you so much for being here and making us part of your world. What an honor that is for us. Hey, if you'd like to watch the video version of what we're doing here, you can do that now via Bloody Disgusting TV. That's available on Roku, Sling, Vizio Smartcast, and more. Check the on-screen programming guide for showtimes and schedules. All sorts of amazing horror films on there as well. It's a linear TV channel. And it is all great fun. Now, on with what's on the menu for today. You are hanging out with bassist and songwriter for influential metal band Life of Agony. He's also an incredibly talented comic book artist and New York Times best-selling creator of the Beauty of Horror adult coloring book series. It is Alan Robert. He talks to you all about his passion for horror and the films that inspired his journey, introduces you to his new Monster Chompers characters, find out what's in store for the beloved Gouliana, the latest with Life of Agony in their new documentary film, and so much more. Color Outside the Lines with episode 303 and the incredibly talented Alan Robert now playing. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is an insanely talented musician and creator. For more than three decades now, celebrated for his work as bassist and primary songwriter in the legendary band Life of Agony, who not only created a community, but whose undying influence continues to transform the genre. The first record... Named by Rolling Stone as one of the greatest metal albums of all time, our guest has always been behind the visual side of the band as well, designing the logo, merchandise, album art, and posters. A passionate and brilliant artist trained at the iconic SVA in New York under the tutelage of some of the greatest comic book creators and illustrators of our time. He debuted his own series, Wire Hangers, in 2009 to rave reviews, and others like Killogy and Crawl to Me that remain as one of the most critically acclaimed horror titles ever. In 2016, he began the Beauty of Horror a series of adult coloring books propelling him to the New York Times bestseller list. The latest edition, Volume 5, Haunt of Fame, is available now as Life of Agony heads back out on the road for some 2022 tour dates and it's an absolute honor to welcome Mr. Alan Roberts. Yeah! Yeah! I, I, I don't think I could follow that, so I'm just going to go. I will leave on a high note. <laughs> that was a great podcast. Dude, we are yeah. so pumped to meet you, man. And on behalf yeah. of fans everywhere, I mean, thank you for being a part of enriching our lives in so many impactful ways, be it in the catharsis and support system laced into your music and inspiring and igniting us with your incredible artwork, dude. Oh, thank you so much. It's it's great to be here. Dude, so I was just telling you, I, lo I love the background that you got going. I got to redecorate <laughs> this place, get it a little spookier. I love what you got going on back there, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. I what? love that painting that's oh, yeah. behind you. Yeah, right over there, dear. I'd be on your oh, right. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a tribute to Sid Vicious. I actually have it tattooed on my arm. Oh, that's uh, incredible. Like a, oh, that's cool, man. That's so awesome. It's like a... 
decrepit so vicious. <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, you could see, you know, you got a shelf with collectibles and things uh, behind you there in your music room. What do you like about surrounding yourself in other people's creations and in the creations of yourself? Uh, I'm just so inspired by artists and, um, and great stories really. And, uh, you know, since I was a little kid picking up Iron Maiden's killers uh, on vinyl, um, and drawing it on my notebook, I've been drawing monsters ever since, you know, and, um, I've just been infatuated with everything creepy and horror. And, um, you know, the first scary movie I ever saw, um, was Amityville horror, which I didn't actually watch. I listened to it next door in, um, my parents' bedroom because they allowed me to watch. It was my first R rated horror movie. I was like, please, please, please. It came on HBO, you know, everyone had HBO in the eighties. Yeah. And as soon as the opening credits started, you know, uh, uh, I was like, out, out. <laughs> so right next, next door, put the covers over my head, but I had to listen to the whole film through the wall, which was probably more terrifying. You oh, know. definitely. Yeah. You got to build the story and imagery yourself, man. Was that, do you find that that experience in particular, I mean, obviously it galvanized you quite substantially. Was it, was a part of uh, a big part of your gateway into the genre and your obsession with it? Abs- absolutely. Yeah. You know, it was all downhill from there. Right. You know, it was like, <laughs> and then, you know, as soon as I got my video card, you know, at the blockbuster or the local video store, yeah, uh, I would, you know, every weekend was like, piled high, you know, four horror movies, whatever was left, you know, um, <clears throat> to watch. What was the first one that you were actually able to sit through? Oh, I, I think um, probably The Shining, actually, and which nice. is, still holds up to be one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Growing up like us in the era of video stores, right, and the incredible box art, that went with genre films in particular as someone who kind of grew up with uh, an eye for that stuff in your DNA. How do you find that that inspired you and guided your experience through horror and what kind of power did you find that those images had? Well, that guided me not only to find great movies, but also music. I think that's why I got into metal and, and hardcore because of the artwork on, on the albums, you know, going back to those days uh, in the eighties, um, the only way you really found out about music was from your friends. Oh, you got to check this out. Uh, we didn't have Spotify. We didn't have all these streaming services. We weren't like inundated with new music left and right. We mm-hmm. had to go seek it out, yeah. go to the record store, pick up the vinyl. And it was all about the artwork. And um, that's a big reason why I love Dire Maiden so much. I just love all the artwork that they had. And um, Derek Riggs, the artist, uh, still remains, you know, one of my favorite illustrators uh and all the little details he would hide throughout the artwork um that's something that i incorporated with my own artwork with beauty of horror there's uh in every beauty of horror book there's a search and find element where colorists can find decrepit body parts or things that uh uh, the main character left behind um in fact um i just finished up the beauty of horror six famous uh, monster pieces and it's a it's like a twisted tribute to the masters so you could have the mona lisa but her you know chin is falling off um and throughout the book you have to find van Gogh's ear mona lisa smile actually cut out yeah. um 
Venus to Milo's arms. Uh, I know this goes on and on, <clears throat> but it's a lot of fun. Oh, that is so amazing. And I remember when you, nice. you, you mentioned those Iron Maiden album covers, and I remember being fascinated by those as well. I'd pick up that one where, um, you know, he's in front of Eddie's in front of there's a farmhouse or something. It's like a mailbox beside him, right? And his hair is all crazy. I remember just staring at that for hours as a kid going, okay, what's happening in this, in this, like, what's the world about here? It was like a 360 experience. I was just going to say, if you look really carefully on like number the beast, there's little demons dancing around and silhouettes and stuff. And there's a lot of hidden things in there. Yeah. I was just going to ask you about the, the beauty of uh, horror coloring books and the uh, character Guyana Ballet. Where did the idea come from? Because I, I know that like about 10 years ago or so, there were these stories of like, hey, adult coloring books are a thing because their therapists have found them to be therapeutic for people, you know, who have issues, anxiety and all kinds of issues, you know, and, and I was thinking like, is that something that, that came to mind uh, because of those kind of studies or did it just, is this something random you came up with? Or I mean, because adult coloring books is, you know, it's something still kind of new. Yeah, well, it was, uh, it was 2016. It's actually a pretty funny story. I was, I was at rehearsal with the band and I came home and my wife and daughter were coloring in one of these nature adult coloring books. They're beautiful books, you know, way different than the coloring books we grew up on with the newspaper print with Woody Woodpecker, you know, uh, these are like really intricate, beautiful, beautifully drawn and beautifully published books. And, um, I was like, wow, what's this all about? And they invited me to, you know, color with them. And I couldn't find anything for a horror fan to color. You know, it was like everything was flowers or underwater scenes. And so my wife said, why don't you draw your own? So it was the night of April Fool's Day. And I drew the most disgusting thing that I could think of at the time, which was CBGB's bathroom. And if anyone knows CBGB's, (laughs) if, if you ever use CBGB's bathroom, there's no way you're getting COVID, you know, at this, at this stage, you know, <laughs> because it was the most disgusting place that you could be on planet earth. And so that's what came to mind. I drew CBGB's bathroom, like an adult coloring book page. I put it on Facebook as a joke for April Fool's Day. And I said, this is my adult coloring book page. And people actually colored it. It was downloaded 400 times and people were coloring CBGB's bathroom. And it was so much fun for me because um, leading up to that point, I was drawing and writing uh, horror graphic novels, which was a totally different experience. Not a lot of interaction with fans. You know, you kind of, I sat in this room for six months writing and drawing the thing. You meet some fans at comic cons, but that's about it. With coloring, it's almost like a never ending art project. Mm. You know, you, you, you put these black and white line art books out in the world and people finish them, you know, and, they bring their own style and creativity and different types of materials. I've seen pages colored with nail polish. Uh, some of the craziest things you've seen, you know, sparkles and everything. And every page that's colored looks different depending on who colored. So you could have 10 different artists come and submit their artwork and you wouldn't even recognize that it's the same page. So that's really how it started. I pitched it to IDW on, on April Fool's Day, do you want to do this horror coloring book with me? Almost as a spoof on coloring books, sure. you know? It, it hadn't been done before. And I got the quickest green light I ever got from the company. It was like 10 minutes. I got an email. Let's do it. And I was like, 
are they fucking with me because it's April Fool's Day? Because yeah. usually, it's like, yeah. usually it's like a boardroom. Everyone has to discuss it. Well, we had some thoughts on it. No, green light. Go ahead, do it. Let's let's go. Oh, and that's, how that's it, man. Well, that's awesome. And yeah, that's one of the things that we love most about it is that you're making us a part of the experience in a very intimate and creative way. It's a great link between artist and fan in that way. That said, how has people's interpretation of the work and what they do with it, how has that affected the uh, volumes that have, that have come after seeing other people's work? Has that steered the artwork and the line drawings in different ways that you go, okay, I wonder, I saw someone do this with it. I wonder what they're going to do with something like this. Yeah, it is a learning experience uh, for me. Every page that I see uh, inspires me to draw more and also take what they've done. And, you know, a lot of times, if you leave a blank space in the background, they will fill it up with whatever comes to mind. And so almost the negative space, carefully placed, is just as important as the, the, you know, the illustration itself. I definitely learned a lot uh, and I'm still learning every day and, um, and the series just won't stop. Yeah. It just keeps going. Um, people have really um, dove into this world and embraced the characters and it, it allowed me to really expand on it because when I did the first book, my only goal was to make the ultimate horror coloring book because I figured this was my one and only shot to do it. I didn't think there would be a part two, let alone a part six. And I just put everything I had into that first book. And when they told me how many pages it was going to be, I was like, I don't know if I can do that. 88 pages of black and white line art. Um, I had to retrain myself to draw in a way because you're not using heavy inks or shadow techniques or color to create depth in the drawing. So I, I really had to strip it all down and relearn how to draw it and uh before i took over, took on the project uh, it was the whole thing has been a learning experience i would really love i know this is gonna sound really weird but i would love like a scratch and sniff thing added to it <laughs> like i don't know if that's possible but i think about the cbg bathroom yeah right that'd be something like at the top that's, a, that's a million dollar idea right there <laughs> <laughs> well that's again we love to create the different creative things and you you touched on it that surround what this world has created the tarot card decks and the journals and things but one of the most striking things has got to be these amazing trailers that have been created to promote the series in each each consecutive edition and bringing these characters into the real world. And the most intense one being that for the Ghost of Christmas book and that Night Terror Before Christmas. Just talk about the process that goes in and thought into each of these little vignettes, especially that stop motion one. How much work went into that and the, you know, your involvement in, the, in that co-creation of that? The animator is named Trent Shy, and he is just phenomenal. I mean, he is um, a sweetheart of a guy and also at, completely out of his mind, clearly, um, by the amazing <laughs> bloody messes that he creates with clay. Um, and it was just, a, that was like a match made in, in hell, really, because that was like, he took a, a script that I gave him and completely brought it to life. 
we mapped it out together and every time he sent me some stills of what he was filming it just blew my mind and uh really made it cinematic you know really dramatic lighting and effects and it just it just works so well it, I, I can i understand why it went viral oh yeah no doubt it's amazing is there so what are the plans obviously there's got to be pl- more plans to bring guliana into the real world in that way or feature film tie-ins anything like that what's on deck what would you love to do with that character in the world there is there is stuff in the works behind the scenes i, I can't talk too much about it but um but in the animation world uh to bring beauty of horror uh, to life in that space. Yeah. What is the coolest tribute you've seen in a fan uh, come up with, you know, in, in, the, in the coloring book of yours? Well, one of the coolest things was uh, in book four, it was uh, Beauty of Horror for Creature Feature, which was basically a spoof on horror movies, which is so much fun for me because, you know, being the, the true horror fan, uh, I, I got to bring in some of the more under the radar films into that book. And, um, and it was fun to see fans really search out which page was from which film and, um, and put together their lists. You know, there's some uh, cool flip through videos online um, from fans that uh, have, you know, they found every page and every scene. But one of the coolest uh, tributes for me was there's a scene from The Exorcist and Guliana is, uh, is Reagan and she's on the bed and the priest is there and, and the devil statues, life size and everything. And I left an empty frame on the wall and someone put my face in it. Oh, that's um, awesome. That's so <laughs> like cool. The Pazuzu flash. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I saw on your Instagram that you met Linda Blair. What was that experience like? Oh, that was awesome. We were at the Chiller Theater Expo in Jersey and um my table was set up right next to her so <gasps> i hung out with her all weekend you know it was awesome it was such a cool experience that in fact the chili theater i have to give them a lot of props because i made a lot of great friends over the years and have s- sat next to a lot of celebrities uh that i grew up loving my whole life you know um and uh including mark ramon uh, who i ended up doing a project with called Killogy, where, where I took Marky Ramone, Frank Vincent from Goodfellas, also someone I, I met at Chiller, Brea Grant from, um, from Heroes, and uh, Doyle from The Misfits, and put them into the zombie apocalypse. Um, <laughs> that's, and, a great, that's a great comic. Nice. What, what made you decide on those characters in particular to throw them into this, into this world, this New York I, I consumed had, by this voodoo curse? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's animated. You could see a little uh, six-minute animation of that. Yeah, like, the proof of concept, right? Was it going to be yeah. a TV? Was it going to be a whole series? We were pitching it as a series. Yeah, unfortunately, Frank Vincent passed away. Yeah, so I haven't really um, tried to reignite that. But um, and things got so busy with Beauty of Horror. But uh, it was so much fun to work with him. And actually, when we did the voiceover together, um, I went to Frank's house. Jersey and um and set up my laptop to record his voice for the animation. It was set up right on his kitchen table and he's dropping F bombs left and right. And he after every take he apologizes to his wife in the next room. Sorry, honey. (laughs) 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 It was great. That is the best. The Boo Crew will be right back. 315 AM, the house in Amityville, the first night. George and Kathy thought they were alone in their bedroom. Get out! Once you live through just one night in the house of the Amityville Horror, 
you will discover why the best-selling book that made millions believe in the unbelievable is now the motion picture that will make you believe in the Amityville Horror. From American International, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parents. Back to my question about like, was there any particular reason did you have these exact people in mind for these characters? Like, how did the whole concept come up for Killogy? I had um, pitched the idea to IDW as a kind of like a Twilight Zone um, four part issue where four characters have separate stories and then they intertwine. Sure. And um, I had written the stories out before, and uh, when I started sketching out the characters. One of them looked like Frank Vincent to me. And I was like, uh, through my cousin, I knew somebody that knew him and we, we were able to have a meeting. And uh, we actually met at Goodfellas restaurant in New Jersey. No way. And um, I'll never forget. We were so late. There was traffic. It was just, it was the worst. We were like 45 minutes late. Oh, that is the by, worst. The time we, uh, by the time we get to the, the restaurant, we open the door and he's sitting at the far end of the bar. The place is empty. And it just felt like you were going to get whacked. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, we really fucked this up. Uh, but, <laughs> but, uh, he was such a nice guy at, at the meeting and, and we really hit it off because, um, I don't know if you know this, but Frank Vincent, um, played drums even before he was an actor. Did not know this. And, um, wow. and he was in a band with Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci played what? guitar. And, <laughs> And the two of them were in a band together and would, would play uh, the Jersey Shore. And, um, and they had so much fun on stage with the banter up and back, you know, the chemistry those two have, that they actually, uh, they dropped the instruments and, and went up like, a, like a, a comedy duo with a band behind them. And they would do all the clubs that way. And that's how they were discovered for, uh, for Raging Bull. Is there a video of this? I don't think so. Oh, but there man. is a photo. There is a photo. I think the Aristocats. I think it was called the Aristocats. Okay. Look it up. I'm going to. Oh, oh man. it's incredible. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. In the back of Kilogy, I did an interview with Frank and he talks about it too. And then what about Marky and Brea? Were those, again, characters that, oh, this person looks like this? Or did you go, this would be great to put Marky in Brea? Well, <laughs> Once I got Frank involved, I was like, well, who else could we get? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and through uh, various connections and friends, I met Marky. And, and it was the hardest thing with that project was trying to con convince them that this was all going to work because I had never done it before. And I couldn't find a comic book example where it was cast, you know, yeah. before it was made into a film or something. It usually works the other way around, you know, they'll make a comic book off of a successful show. You know, it's never done in reverse. So this was, this was, I don't know, the first time a comic book that was cast with real people, possibly. That is amazing, dude. <laughs> and I mean, Doyle, I mean, he's a, he's a human comic book character. That's a, yeah. it's a given. Uh, <laughs> he's yeah. the best. I, I know the Misfits guys forever. And uh, we, uh, my band Life of Agony toured with the Misfits years and years ago. And I've always been a huge Misfits fan and, and still am to this day. 
And so that was the easiest one to get. He was like, yeah, why not? (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious about this. I'm curious about this going back to horror films for, for a minute here. What are some of the horror films that invoked a creative response from you that, that spoke to you in a way that almost forced you to go spit something out, whether it was a drawing or a cartoon or a story? I, you know, I really grown to um, love horror films with great twist endings. And I think the sixth sense, believe it or not, made a big impact on me, especially when it came to creating uh, crawl to me because crawl to me, really is a psychological thriller that builds up to a, a really unique twist. And um, I always loved that about Twilight Zones, M. Night stuff. You know, I, I think I really always loved that, that, uh, that form of storytelling. Do you, have you, are you down with uh, M. Night's latest show, Servant? Have you checked any of that out yet? I saw a few episodes. It was kind of creepy. Yeah, yeah man, we're we're yeah, yeah, we're in there. Yeah, deep. we're deep into it. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah, yeah, M Night's incredible. What about the relationship of script to panel and and, and creating comic books? I'm curious your workflow. How does the storyline come out of you? Will you write first, mm-hmm. illustrate after? How does that process work? For me, since I've been drawing my own scripts. And without dealing with um, a team in that way, mm-hmm. it's pretty organic. So I'll, I'll come up with an idea that I'll pitch the publisher, um, which is only probably a, um, a page. And I'll go off of that basic outline to break it up into issues or chapters, however you want to look at it. And, um, and just kind of wing it from the, the first part of the chapter to the end part. And, I know the beats that I have to hit, but the artwork for me comes first. So visually it has to work. And then I go back in and, and fill in either narration or dialogue. And sometimes it doesn't need it. You know, if you're, there's different techniques to, um, to change the pace for the reader by omitting dialogue sure. or having a lot of, so, um, yeah, uh, it really depends on uh, what kind of atmosphere that you're trying to convey. As far as other comic book goes, I know there's um, a- another title that is being teased out there from you. Is there any news on that or any other comic book news coming from you anytime soon? Uh, it's been a crazy year. Yeah. Um, so I've been super busy, believe it or not, with a ton of Beauty Forest stuff, um, including um a new NECA action figure coming out. Oh, amazing. Uh, um, nice. <clears throat> of Guliana. Um, so that's been a, a lot of fun and a lot of work. And now that the band is actually going back on tour, which is super exciting. It also, um, it's kind of impacting some of the things that I had planned. I'm just kind of going with the flow because, you know, it really is unpredictable with what's going on in the world. Yeah. Uh, we, we've, we've had, um, tour dates from 2020 that have moved three times I can't over the imagine. last couple of years. Yeah. And um, so we're, we're booked all summer. Um, it's just a matter of if we can actually go do them. What is a typical day like for you? I got to ask with all these different mediums that you create in, is there a formula to it? Is there a typical day? Do you like spending time doing certain things at certain times a day? Or do you like the variety of never knowing what the day is going to bring? I used to be a real night cat and draw like all night. And that didn't serve me well when I had to 
driving my daughter to school. Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. We have four kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel you. I'm down with that, man. Yeah, three so hours I, sleep I, and it, it adds up by Saturday, right? You're uh, just yeah. like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but that's when the band was super active and I was really juggling that schedule along with the art. And being that the band has been kind of sidelined because of COVID the last two years, it's been more of a nine to I would say five, but that's a lie. I would say nine to 11 yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, of, uh, of a work day. And it really is managing, you know, the different projects because projects pop up too, you know, that are kind of out of the blue. Like I did, um, I did some artwork for the band Panatera recently, which was so much fun. And it was an honor to like celebrate their vulgar display of power record. Uh, 30 years of vulgar display and um, what an honor it was to be asked to do that. And, um, and that was like right in the middle of drawing beauty of horror six, you know? So it was, you know, it's just like managing your time and, you know, seeing what you're inspired to do that day. Sometimes it doesn't happen. You know, I could draw, draw a page and, and look at it at the end of the day and just be like, that could be better. You know, Uh, it it really is a day to day thing and how you're feeling. And you really have to be in the, in the right headspace to knock it out of the park what do you do in times when you're having trouble moving forward on a creative project is there anything in particular that you like to do to kind of clear the head i watched john carpenter's thing really (laughs) nice i must have seen that movie i must have seen it probably 85 times and once i sit and watch it it just makes everything better wow really the thing that's 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 your comfort (laughs) film yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. What's your thought? What's your thought on the, on that final scene? Who's uh, who's the thing at the end? Mm. You know, I've watched it so many times, and I and I flip flop on that. You know, maybe Kurt Russell. I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's no solid ending, man. Yeah. Yeah. The practical effects, yeah. obviously. I mean, as a visual guy yourself you know what Rob Boutine did on that film in terms of the practical you know, effects. I, I just had this conversation with my, with my 14 year old daughter today because uh, we, we recently saw the Spider-Man movie yep. uh, in the theater. Right. And it brought back all the old characters and stuff. And, and so she was psyched to see some of the older Spider-Man, you know? And so we, we watched the one with, with uh, lizard man. Right. And there's so much, uh, CGI in that movie, bad CGI. I mean, it was old film, right? At this point. Yeah. And, um, it just doesn't hold up. And, uh, you know, but then you watch the thing even now it's still amazing, you know? And, and I think that's why I can't really get into like a lot of the new, like Avengers Marvel stuff because it's just over the top. I just see all the animation as animation and it's hard to like get me into the film. Amen to that. Have you showed your kids some of that practical effect laden stuff? And have you like seen what their reaction is to it? Like some of the great stuff you showed them the thing or anything? Yeah, she doesn't care. But, um, (laughs) but when we did one of the beauty of horror commercials, like you were talking about, I always use family members and uh, my daughter was in one of them. And also my, um, my cousin, my little cousin played Guliana. We had a makeup artist put the whole thing, the whole get up. And so that was my daughter's first experience seeing that done in real life. So that was a cool experience. That is very cool. Oh, uh, my that's God. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so move, moving into the future here, 
So I know you've been doing these NFTs, which is a concept that I'm still trying to wrap my brain around exactly what <laughs> what they are. Leo, do you you're a science guy, you're a smart dude. Do you do you understand it, Leo? I <laughs> I know two words. I I know I know the words blockchain and that's where it ends. Right, right, there. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I know it's just like owning original digital art is as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And you've created a bunch of them, the Monster Chomper series. So I guess what what can you tell us like is there a layman's term as to exactly like what opportunities that that affords you because I also know that you're you're doing it in a really unique way that has a interesting partnership that is created between creator and purchaser or or fan if you can just kind of yeah give a layman's term of what an NFT is and what unique thing that you're doing with it I get this a lot because this is you know I think there's something of our generation that grew up collecting real tangible items like comic books, baseball cards, what memorabilia from films and, and things like that, where you have a feeling of holding something in your hand. I own it. Right. Right. But there's also that, that certificate of authenticity that comes with some of the, the things, whether you grade a comic, right. You never open it again. Right. It, it's graded and that's it. Yeah. It's kind of like that for digital collectibles where Talking about the blockchain, Leo. So when one of these digital collectibles is born into the world, it's called minting. And so it gets minted to the blockchain and that's the certificate of authenticity. It never goes away. And so anytime it changes hands, you can always see where it originated from and you know it's real. And the same thing goes for my Monster Chomper collection. All these monsters that I drew and, you know, I completely forgot about that I did it because I'm always juggling six projects at a time. But this is something that I worked on for three months over the summer that has just come out in December. Um, and it's a collection of 10,000 unique monster chompers. Each one is unique. It has different rarity traits and, and there's a percentage of how rare each one is, you know, done with algorithms. So it, it's pretty amazing. I'm new to the space too. So this was kind of a learning curve for me too. But I've always been interested in technology and I've always pushed myself out of my comfort zone mm. to do creative things, in, including drawing on paper to drawing digitally. You know, that was a big step for me. And so that uh, this was a fun experience. I got to partner with uh, some friends I met in Argentina and um, who are kings of creating NFTs and, and know uh, all the background on how to do it right and, um, and make it fun for fans. And so we launched this thing. We announced it on Halloween and we launched it uh, the first week of December. And basically, the more Monster Chompers that you purchase, you can open up your own franchise uh, where you make your own cryptocurrency royalties so the fans become partners and it's it's a cool community uh that we're all building and um part of the things that we're doing with monster chompers is creating a graphic novel that is kind of written between me and the fans so there'll be certain elements of the graphic novel that are voted on by monster chomper holders and they really have a, a say on where the story goes and what the characters do. 
Oh my God, that's insane! Wow, <laughs> oh, wow. that's cool, man. Jeez. So th- this was this was also a, you know another uh, graphic novel concept, right? Um, and this was just one way to kind of launch that and uh, get get the fans involved because there, like I said, I learned so much about interaction with the beauty of horror, having it this never ending art project. And this constant um, give and take between me and fans, uh, this is taking that idea to a whole nother level. Yeah. I think. Oh, definitely. What, what can you tell us about like the actual monster chomper concept, the, the world, the, the conceptual idea of the world that's created in it? Okay. So you're going to like this. So going back to our video shop things, have you ever, did you ever rent the movie, The Freshman with Marlon Brando? No. I can honestly okay, say so I haven't. Leo? No, not seen that. It's, a, it's kind of a comedy with Matthew Broderick and Marlon Brando. And the idea is Marlon Brando hosts these illegal, exclusive dining experience where you can taste endangered species. And Matthew Broderick is, is his son-in-law who is trying to help and not get thrown out of the family. And once he realizes that, they have these endangered species that people are eating. You know, he's trying not to get too involved, but it's, it's a hilarious movie from the eighties. Anyway, um, this is kind of like that, but with monsters. So there, if monsters existed among humans, but in hiding and they wanted to eat humans, there's a company that takes over human restaurants in the middle of the night, sends out invitations for monsters to gather and eat humans in their restaurant. <laughs> and then at the, <laughs> at the end of each of these big banquets, they burn the place down to, to get rid of all the evidence. And they move from city to city like that. Oh, that's, so the story <laughs> that's amazing. That's awesome. That's awesome. So these, these, are, these are called monster chompers, all night eateries. And that's basically with the NFTs, that's what the franchises are. There, there are eateries that you can buy and um, <clears throat> that you can get involved with after you collect a certain amount of monster chompers. Each of the NFTs are monsters that attend these events and the different foods that they eat off of the bizarre menu. So there's like spaghetti and eyeballs and there's like uh, severed ogre feet and whatever whatever is there if you go to monsterchompers.com you could see a lot of artwork from it that's oh cool my god oh, so man. i mean a tv awesome. a tv series has to be happening something that's an incredible idea <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the graphic novel will come first and we'll and we actually have um an interested publisher for that so um There'll be some news about that soon. Oh, that's so fun. Oh, my God. Oh, that's so cool. There's also, I, I just heard actually today, some news on the uh, the documentary, the Life of Agony documentary, The Sound of Scars. It looks like possibly spring release will be all be getting to see that. Is that true? Yeah, I think uh, I think we're shooting for March. Yeah. Um, it just got picked up uh, by Cynodyne. And, um, and we did, a, um, we did a, a short two-week director's cut screening during COVID last year to raise money for charity, uh, the suicide hotline and, um, all out, which is a, a great organization that supports LGBTQ rights. And we had such a great reception from it. And, um, it was picked up by Raven banner who then took it around to shop it for dis- distribution. And, you know, the, the North American rights were just scooped up by Synodyme and there's some 
of the territories that we'll be announcing soon. Really exciting. Oh, fantastic. We cannot that's wait. Awesome. And then of course, yeah, you got this this uh this new tour that's going to kick off the first little bit of uh of this year and you're excited for that and we cannot wait to see you guys back on the road. Have you done any live gigs in the past like few years during COVID times or is this going to be the first real first toe back in the water? Our last gig was supposed to be Friday the 13th of March. 2020. Oh, wow. We were, supposed to, we, were, we were supposed to start that tour. It was called the Beast Coast Monsters Tour with Doyle from the Misfits. Yeah. And we were supposed to play Philly that night, that Friday night. And we never left. We were all ready to go and they, the world shut down. And, and that was it. That was it. This is exciting to get back out there. And uh, I actually caught COVID um, right after New Year's. Yeah. And uh, I'm all, all better now. But um, I managed not to get it for the two years. And then this Omicron just was spreading like wildfire. Oh, yeah, everybody's, yeah, everybody's getting yeah. it. It was a while. It was like no, like no one you knew had it or maybe a friend of a friend would have COVID. But now. Yeah. So I feel, I feel like I've, I've got superpowers going on the tour. Exactly. Um, I'm ready to go. And we're yeah. all ready to see it, man. That's, that's so exciting. Well, dude, thank you so much for your time. I know we went yes. over, but you've been a delight to talk to. And we can't wait to do it again. And uh Thank you so much for continuing to inspire us, man. We appreciate it. <laughs> thanks for having me. That was the Boot Crew Podcast, episode 303. Special thanks to our guest, Alan Robert. Follow him at AlanRobert666 on Instagram. Get the Beauty of Horror adult coloring book series everywhere you buy books. And at time of release, you can see the Life of Agony documentary, The Sound of Scars, on March 22nd. The album of the same name is available now. Music for this episode from Life of Agony. Production tracks provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, this is Trev for the Boo Crew saying, Sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting podcast network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network. Home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.